So time, what is it? How do we describe it? When we're enjoying ourselves, it seems like time goes very quickly. When we're not enjoying ourselves, it goes very slowly. We run out of it when we're up against a deadline. However, we have too much of it, we don't have anything to do. That doesn't happen very often, does it? Sometimes we get time on parts of our body. Did you ever hear the phrase, um, he or she has too much time on their hands? <clears throat> well, we, you know, throughout history, people have come up with very interesting phrases and quotes regarding time. And uh, some of them are, they go like this. Yesterday's the past, tomorrow's the future, but today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. That's by Bill Keen. Time flies over us, but leaves, a sh- uh, leaves its shadow behind. Nathaniel Hawthorne. Better three hours too soon than a minute too late. Shakespeare. Lost time is never found again. Benjamin Franklin. Time is the most, uh, is the most valuable thing a man can spend. I'm just going to call him Theo. I can't pronounce his name. Time and tide wait for no man. That's Chaucer. Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. William Penn. And finally, I went to a restaurant that serves breakfast at any time, so I ordered French toast during the Renaissance. Not sure what Stephen Wright meant by that, but I like the quote because I know somebody by that name. I don't think it was the same person. When we're young... We want to be old. When we're old, we want to be young again. I remember I was about five years old. I actually remember this situation. And at that time, paper boys would come. They'd not only deliver your paper, about once a month or so, they'd come and they'd collect the money. So this paper boy came came up to our house, rang the doorbell, and my mom answered the door. I'm standing next to her, and I'm looking up at this kid, and he looks gigantic to me. I'm five years old at this time. And I tugged my mother's skirt, and I said, Mom, how old is that boy? She says, oh, he's about 10. And I was thinking, wow, will I ever get to be 10 years old? It seemed like so far away. Um, Well, but here I am. (laughs) Many years later, I made it to 10. The thing I find it difficult to grasp is that there's been so many decades in between. Where did all that time go? Now, if you really want to get confused, look up some... Uh, dictionary definitions of the word time. It's very hard to define. Here's a few of them. The system of those sequential relations that any event has to any other as past, present, or future, indefinite, and continuous duration, regarded as that in which events succeed one another. Did you get that? How about this one? The measured or measurable period during which an action, process, or condition exists or continues, a duration, a non-spatial continuum that is measured in terms of events which succeed one another from past through present to future. Even though it's hard for us to define time, we all find ourselves within it, within those bounds. And I don't believe we're the only beings that are subject to the passage of time. All created beings are, even angels. I think they live day to day or moment to moment if time is measured differently in heaven. Now, if that seems difficult to believe, just ask yourself this question. Would the angels have followed Lucifer if they knew the future? Would Lucifer have followed Lucifer if he knew the future? No, I don't think they knew. Um, Great Controversy says, 
and origin of evil, Lucifer himself did not at first see whither he was drifting. He did not understand the real nature of his feelings. Speaking of a second coming, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. And he follows by saying, not even the Son of Man. We can get in that later. But the angels in heaven didn't even know. They don't know. So the question, has time always existed? Or was there a beginning to time? I'm not sure we can answer that with any certainty or even grasp the significance. But I believe that it was created like everything else. God made it for his creation. It's the only way finite beings can live within the bounds of time. But God is outside of it. Isaiah 46, 9-10 says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. It's a very crude illustration, but I think of it as God looking down on a box. That box has a beginning and end. Time really doesn't, but for purposes of this illustration. And he can see from one end to the other. There's no top in that box, and he... Nothing escapes his view. He sees everything. And we're placed in that box at a certain point. And from that point on, we live from moment to moment. We can't see in front of us. We might be able to see behind us, remember some things, but we can't see in front of us. But as we'll see, this is actually a benefit to us, both in this life and in the life to come. Even if we can't see, it doesn't matter because God can. He can see the whole thing. Time is a gift, one that we're expected to use wisely. It may go on for eternity, but here on earth, we have a limited quantity. So how are we to use it? I identified several ways that we can experience time and use it wisely. So one, simply stated, we are to accomplish something. Ephesians 5.15, as we read, says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This is from a book called My Life Today by Ellen White. She says, God bestows talent upon men, not that these talents may be lie unused or or employed in self-gratification, but they may be used to bless others. Life is too solemn to be absorbed in temporal and earthly matters, in a treadmill of care and anxiety for the things that are but an atom in comparison with the things of eternal significance. Yet God has called us to serve him in the temporal affairs of life. Diligence in this work is as much a part of religion as is devotion. What we accomplish here doesn't have to be great in the world's eyes. But even a small thing accomplished for God is counted as great. Maybe our influence will lead one person into eternity. And that's very precious in God's eyes. That's number one. Number two, we are to use time to develop our characters in trying situations. Learning to trust God to take us through those difficult times. But sometimes this box of time seems a little too restrictive. We would love to just peer ahead and see what's around the corner. Sarah was a young woman. She just finished grad school. It was a terrible time in her life. Her job ended when school ended. She had no money and was close to losing her apartment. She was borrowing money from her parents for cat food. Her boyfriend had dumped her six months earlier, and she could not get over it. Dinner was frequently a bottle of red wine from a local convenience store. 
She was horribly depressed and needed a night out. So when one of her friends asked her if she wanted to have a girl's night out at a local bar that would have a psychic doing readings for 20 bucks, she thought, why not? Let's do it. Sarah describes the psychic this way. Julie, not her real name, was lovely and absolutely Portland. Hot, tattooed, funny, and hip. I laughed at myself for how nervous I'd been. This was all for a good time. And surely she was going to tell me everything would be fine, that I'd have a long life, a hunky husband, and a fulfilling career. I mean, that's what they always say, right? Not quite. Here were the highlights of the reading. One, I would live a long life, but only after overcoming some horrible disease in my early 30s. She was really into this one. She kept grabbing my hand and pointing at some invisible thing and saying, this really worries me. Number two, I, don't have, I won't have a love life. I'll have a series of brief passionate affairs, a short-lived marriage, but no lasting happiness. She goes on to say, I wanted to write her off as a fraud. I mean, I don't even believe in psychics. I'm a grown adult. I'm a skeptic, an agnostic. I don't believe in magic, <clears throat> except that I totally do. After she said all this to me, I burst into tears. She shrugged and said she was sorry she didn't have better news for me. Then she tried to mellow the blow by saying I'd have some career recognition. Oh, that's great. That was three years ago, and it hasn't left me. It wasn't, it's not quite an obsession, but it pops into my mind more than I'd like. When I fight with my boyfriend, I wonder if this is the end, since the psychic said I would never have a lasting relationship. Sometimes when I get into my car, I think, is this the accident? If I get the flu, I think, is this the disease? Always wondering if it's the disaster she spoke of. And so I make bargains with myself. Maybe the fender better I had last year left me with some, that left me with some uh, physical problems. Maybe that was the disaster that she predicted. Maybe the worst is over. Things like that. Sometimes I consider going to another psychic, trying to get a contradictory reading. Seems strange to go to a psychic to disavow another psychic, but that's what she wanted to do. As comforting um, <clears throat> as it would be, uh, it's not worth the, worth the risk of having a, a scary stuff confirmed by a second psychic. So maybe I should get down on my knees and pray to a God I don't believe in. <clears throat> maybe I need to invent some kind of cleansing I can do. But her advice, ladies, please take my advice. Don't go visiting psychics. They can mess you up. Now, I don't believe that people can really foretell the future. But if somebody were to tell me, in 2016, 10 things are going to happen to you, 9 are good, and the 10th is bad, Guess which one I'd be obsessed with the entire year? The bad one. You know, it's a blessing that we don't know the future, that we can put our hands into God. <clears throat> we can trust him with our tomorrow. Matthew 6.36 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Number three, we can use time to discover, learn about God, learn about this world, learn about other people. God has given us so many things to study. The wonders of nature are never exhausted. <clears throat> it says here in an uh, article in Science of the Times, it says, The glory of God is displayed in his handiwork. Here are mysteries that um, the mind will become strong in searching out. All my fine themes to study in the simple leaf of the forest tree, the spires of grass covering the earth, their green velvet carpet, the plants and flowers, the stately trees of the forest the lofty mountains, the granite rocks, the restless ocean, the precious gems of light, studying the heavens to make the night beautiful, exhaustive riches of the sunlight, 
All these are controlled by an infinite power. Here are subjects which call for deep thought, for the stretch of the imagination. And we're given a special time that has been blessed, one in seven, to really explore some of these things. God, people, others, nature. Number four, God can use time to heal our wounds. We often heard the, the saying that time heals all wounds, but it depends how we use that time. But God definitely does use it to heal wounds. I remember December 2001. As I walked by their empty desk one dark December afternoon, uh, before my move from the second floor, anger and a deep feeling of sadness came over me. Why? I had spent the last years, the last several years building up this group as their supervisor. We not only worked together, we played together. There were canoe trips, water skiing, afternoon excursions for ice cream, but I was being transferred to another group. Not only was it emotionally difficult, but it wasn't a good career move. I was going from supervising 12 people to supervising no one. This wasn't right. It wasn't fair. I carried their parting gift with me. With me, It was a picture of the client-server group with the inscription to the world's best boss. I probably still have it somewhere. It took a long time to get over this, but I eventually did. In the last six years at NICOR, I got my, or I'm sorry, within six years, I got myself transferred back to that group. Some of the original people were gone, some were there, but the last five and a half years at that company were some of my best. In Job 42, 16 to 17, it says, After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So Job died, old and full of days. God gave Job the opportunity to enjoy the blessings that he received after the hard times. And God will do that. He'll use time to heal our wounds. Five, time is used by God for the working out of good and evil. So that intelligent beings can see what the results of each are. It says, for the good of the entire universe, through ceaseless ages, Satan must fully develop his principles, that his charges against the divine government might be seen in their true light by all created beings, that the justice and mercy of God and immutability of his law be forever placed beyond all question. Great controversy, page 198. Number six, last but not least. Time should be used for our enjoyment. We are to live in the moment. Third John 1-2 says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. You know what the one habit is that all highly successful people share? That one habit is gratitude. This is from an Inc. article. It says, Gratitude grounds you to the present. If you're busy appreciating the present, you'll have less time and energy to waste worrying about the future or regretting the past. You'll also be more likely to spot opportunities when they present themselves. There was one that knew perfectly how to live in the present. From Desire of Ages, it says, But the Son of God was surrendered to the Father's will and a dependent upon his his power. So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plans for him, and day by day, the Father unfolded the plans. So, so should we depend upon God that our lives may be simple, the simple outworking of his will. Now, this is probably foreign to most of us. We're told to have a plan for everything, our careers, our finances, our marriage. It's okay to plan, but let's remember this verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 9. 
It says, man plans his journey, but God controls the steps. That's actually very deep. Think about that. We may be heading, wanting to head in this direction, and we start walking out a little turn in our steps over here. takes us to a totally different place. And I don't know about you and your life, but that has happened many times in mine. I had a certain plan, wanted to go to a certain way, and it just didn't quite work out that way. So let's, uh, let's review these. Time. One, we are to accomplish something in it. Two, we are to use it to allow God to develop our characters in trying situations. Three, we are to discover things about the world, people, and God. Four, we are to allow God to use time to heal our wounds. Five, we are to observe the working out of good and evil. And six, we are to enjoy every moment as much as possible. But finally, the true gift of time will only be realized in eternity. We are finite but we have, but with an infinite capacity for growth. Let me say that again. We are finite, but with an infinite capacity for growth. God created us finite beings with the ability to ever approach the infinite creator. And here is where we will truly understand the precious gift of time. It was the best thing that God could have given to us. Each day, each moment will be better than the previous one. This is from the great controversy also. There are immortal minds will contemplate with never-failing delight the wonders of creative power, the mysteries of redeeming love. There will be no cruel, deceiving foe to tempt the forgetfulness of God. Every faculty will be developed, every capacity increased. The acquirement of knowledge will not weary the mind or exhaust the energies. There the grandest enterprises may be carried forward, the loftiest aspirations reached, the highest ambitions realized, and still there will be new, arise new heights to surmount. New wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of mind, soul, and body. All the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. Unfettered by immortality, they wing their tireless flights to worlds afar, worlds that thrilled with sorrow at the spectacle of human woe and ring with songs of gladness at the tidings of a ransom foe. And the years of eternity, as they roll, will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the greater will be their admiration of his character. As Jesus opens before them the riches of redemption and the amazing achievements in the great controversy with Satan, the hearts of the ransomed thrill with more fervent devotion with more rapturous, rapturous joy, they sweep their harps of gold. The great controversies and its sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness through the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. And so creation moves on. Memories of the curse fade away into eternity. Creation moves on, but what about the Creator? Second Peter says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. God created time, and as best we can understand, He is not impacted at all by its passage. God never stepped into that box. From the book, The Great Controversy, again, no eternally burning hell will keep the ransom, keep before the ransom the fearful consequences of sin. One reminder alone remains. Our Redeemer will ever bear 
There were marks of his crucifixion upon his wounded head, upon his side, his hands and feet, are the only traces of the cruel work that sin has wrought. Says the prophet, beholding Christ in his glory, he had bright beams coming out of his side, and there was the hiding of his power. But I wonder if there's another significance to that, to those scars. Perhaps they represent the emotional scars that God feels and will always remain with him. The look of terror on the faces of his own creation as he unveils his glory. They are the work of his hands, but they have corrupted themselves to the point of not being able to live in his presence. What a sad thought. By a life of rebellion, Satan and all who unite with him will place themselves so out of harmony with God that his very presence is to them a consuming fire. The glory of him who is love will destroy them. No wonder God says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but turn and live. But God will find joy in the redeemed. Like parents watching children with the light opening Christmas presents, he'll watch his children every moment opening up new gifts that he gives to us. In Isaiah 53.11 it says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus, he stepped in that box with us, that box of time. I think he'll always be there. He leads us here on earth, and it will lead us in the earth made new. He chose to walk a mile in our shoes.